Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. In today's show, we're going to look at how to use private funding to create cash flow. My guest in this episode is Josh Cantwell. Josh is the top residential real estate investor in his community, and he has been a full-time investor since 2003. Josh has bought and sold over 700 plus properties in 25 states since 2003, and currently is laser focused on the distressed property niche specifically on six revenue pillars, bank foreclosures, short sales, lease options, buyers, marketing, and raising capital. Super excited to have Josh on the show. I've launched another podcast, Cashflow Investing Secrets. It's a shorter show, 10 minutes or less, where I share one concept and or idea at a time that I've learned from interviewing over 500 Cashflow Ninjas. We are on all of the podcast platforms video platforms, and live streaming platforms. You can find us by simply typing in Cashflow Investing Secrets. Savvy investors know that in order for the miracle of compounding interest to work, it's magic, you have to be constantly invested in all stages of the economic cycle. So the question then becomes, how do you find solid investments when the stock market is close to all-time highs and everything else just seems so inflated? That's where our friends at ASIM Capital come in. Since 2011, ASIM has helped more than 300 accredited investors allocate more than $25 million to mobile home parks, self-storage, and workforce housing due to their ability to perform well during economic recessions. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to asymcapital.com. That's A-S-Y-M capital.com to get instant access to their investment offerings. MC Lobsher, the creator of the Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Coach at Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate infinite banking with their business and investments. To learn how you can create your own banking system to turbocharge your investments and business in 30 days or less, go to yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you... Uh having me on. And, you know, I know we've been trying to get this scheduled up for, for a while now. So I've been looking forward to this. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Looking, been looking forward to this and glad to connect. Josh, I figured a good place for us to start. If you just want to share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners. Sure. Um, you know, really I have two kind of starts, right? Um, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and, uh, I was lucky to have an entrepreneurial father who took the risk of building a employee benefits business while I was in high school and college. So I was very fortunate to be around entrepreneurship and business building and cash flow uh, and strategy at a very young age. I did an internship for my dad when I was in high school and college, and I saw the amount of effort and time that went into that. So I was experienced uh, with entrepreneurship at a very young age. I knew I would go into business. Um, and, you know, I started my life as a financial advisor. And, and the reason why I want to go all the way back to when I graduated from college is because today now, after being an entrepreneur for over 20 years, my experience as a financial planner is what allows me to be very, very successful now today in recruiting and raising and managing private money. So, you know, my dad almost, MC, my dad almost died when, you know, when I he paid for college and I had student loan debt and I, I got out of school four years, played college football. And then I took an all commission position uh, with a, uh, a life insurance company and a financial planning firm. He, he, he almost, you know, he almost died when he thought like, Oh my God, what is my son doing? But he didn't know the impression that he had put upon me at a very young age. Um, and the reason why that was important is because I learned what the financial markets were all about as a 21-year-old and then all the way till I was about 27, managing money. I managed about $30 million of capital for people in the markets 
stocks, bonds, mutual funds, insurance. Um, but I noticed that most of my very successful clients did not have all their money in the stock markets. They had their money in real estate. They owned buildings. They owned rental properties. They owned apartment buildings. They had you know, fix and flips and rental properties. And I'm like, you know what? Like there's, there's something to that. Um, and so I started, you know, kind of souring on my financial planning, but I knew that financial planning career would serve me well into the future in managing my own money. And it has. Um, and so 2004, MC, I just, I just quit my job. I quit my job cold Turkey, left behind a six figure income, Uh, as a 26, 27-year-old, left behind the $30 million I was managing um, and jumped into real estate full-time. And uh, I was primarily doing short sales and wholesaling, was very successful, did over uh, four or 500 short sale properties from 2004 till 2010. Uh, And then in 2011, I got sick. Uh, I'm a a pancreatic cancer survivor. Um, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that because it's, it's had a massive impact on how I view the world and how I view business. Um, but that also made me realize that I was very transactional. And what I mean by that, MC, is I was, you know, I, I was primarily getting paid by, I was getting paid very well, but I was primarily getting paid by doing transactions, wholesaling properties. And I realized when I got sick and I was in the hospital, I had to take eight months off of work. I realized I'd made a massive, massive mistake. And so really for the past uh, seven years, since 2011, seven or eight years, I focused back to my roots of managing capital. Now the difference is I manage money in real estate as a massive private lender, as someone who recruits and raises private money every single day, somebody who's deployed over $50 million in private capital into deals. Um, You know, we're around money every day. So now I get to see both as an investor and a lender, I get to see amazing cash flow real estate deals now. And it's my experience as a financial planner over 20 years ago that really allows me to win, to, to win the argument or win the discussion when I'm up against another financial advisor and someone's thinking about putting their money in the markets or real estate, I'm able to win that 90, 95% of the time. And so that's a little bit about my journey, kind of high level. And uh, I appreciate you starting with that because that's a, that's a fun story for me to tell. Absolutely. Um, I've got a couple of questions <laughs> that's going through my mind right now. So uh, let me start with the first one. So from a from financial advisor standpoint, right, the uh, experience that you'd built up there, what are some of the conversations and some of the main points that you would share um, by instead of putting money into markets, putting money rather into the things that you're doing right now and raising money for real estate? What sure. are some of the conversations that you have or the case that you make? Yeah. So, so you know, back, I'll make a couple of points I think that are very, very powerful that people need to understand whether they own an e-commerce business or they're pitching ideas to investors or their own apartments or, you know, they're they're building some sort of marketing agency that they're maybe looking to sell. There is so much money out there in the markets. Um, There's so much money out there in the markets that money will find its way into every great deal. So long as that great deal is presented in a proper way. So, when I look at uh, real estate for me in particular, I look at I'm primarily working with accredited investors, but we have a, a bunch of non-accredited, but people that are primarily exposed to the stock markets. They have a job, they're an attorney, they're an accountant, they're a partner at an accounting firm or a law firm, or they're a nurse or they're a teacher, and they know that they're saving money in a 401k or a pension. That's all they know. And so let's talk a little bit about that for a second. So if you go back the last hundred years, the stock market has averaged about a 9% gross return if you're looking at large cap growth stocks, maybe 10% return if you're looking at international and small caps, which have a higher risk. So that's the gross return. And back when I was selling that stuff, I thought that was amazing. Like when I was a financial planner, I thought this is an incredible opportunity. But if you talk to any financial advisor now, they'll tell you that they use a 7% gross return number 
for almost any blended portfolio. Blended portfolio meaning a mixture of stock or mutual funds and bonds and cash, they're gonna say that you're gonna get about a 7% gross return. Now I have a financial advisor who writes me and my wife a financial plan every year and he uses, ding, 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 a 7% gross return on his projections. Now, of course, we're, we're well outperforming that and have for a long, long time, but here's the other piece of it is Forbes did an amazing study. They studied over 5,000 mutual funds and those 5,000 funds basically were studied and they found that the average fee to own an actively managed mutual fund was 3.14%. So if you have an actively managed mutual fund, meaning an actively managed, not an index fund, but an actively managed mutual fund, you're gonna pay about 3% in fees, commissions, 12B1 fees, uh, uh, expense ratios, transaction costs, marketing fees. It's all buried in the prospectus that almost nobody reads and nobody understands. So if you look at it, what I'm getting at is even in a stock portfolio, if you factor that in with actively managed mutual funds, you're going to get about a 9 or 10% return, minus 3% for fees, you're going to net 7 If you're in a, 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 a fund portfolio of index funds, let's say uh, large cap, S&P 500, mid cap index, international index, bond index, et cetera, you're going to be able to save all the fees, but your return is still going to be about 9 10% in the stock portfolio and about 7% in a blended portfolio. So now, now that I know that data, I am well armed to go out to the markets and talk to people about real estate opportunities, about private lending, about apartments, about fix and flips, rental properties, because I've got to know what most people are uh, educated on and what they're investing in. And since I know that, now I know that information MC, not because of my, my background in the financial markets, I just know it's actually out there anywhere on the internet for free. Everything I just gave you is out there on the internet for free. Yep. But there's so many amazing companies out there that are great at marketing like Fidelity and Vanguard and all these other companies that they steer the conversation towards the stock markets when really the most simple and safe and secured and highest return is in real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, let's touch on the life event that happened to you that changed your perspective on life too because this is, this is something that, you know, obviously gave you a different perspective on it. What were some of the things that you changed? You'd mentioned you went from uh, a, a transactional kind of viewpoint to a different, more long-term range and view. What were some of the other things that um, if you reflect back on what were some of the big other aha moments that you had and changes that you saw um, just and, and, and saw the world? Right, right. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think here's the thing, man. Um, you know, when I was diagnosed, first of all, it, it came out of nowhere. It came out of the total blue. And for most people, like if – they're diagnosed and had this discussion with their doctor, their oncologist, and were diagnosed with a very terminal type of disease. Pancreatic cancer has just a 8% survival rate. My question is, is have they really been doing what they're passionate for? Are they ready to be pulled and called away from this earth in a moment's notice? I was not. And the, the, my, my takeaway from that is that, look, seriously, I came home from work that day. It was September 2011, at September 12th. And I remember coming home from work and I remember playing with my kids. My, we had two little girls, a two-year-old and a one-year-old. My wife was uh, six months pregnant with my son. And I remember playing with them, laying on the floor and looking up at the ceiling, crossing my hands across my belly and feeling this giant lump on the left side of my stomach. It literally came out of the blue just like that. And I said to my wife, I said, Lisa, hey, come on over here. Like, you know, come and check this out. There's, there's, this, there's this kind of lump on the left side of my stomach. 
she's kind of like you know poking around and feeling around and kind of looking at each other like you know she, like crap that that can't be good and you know because my wife was already six months pregnant with my son we decided to kind of put things off until he was born but it literally happened just like that and so the question I ask myself now is, am I doing right now exactly what I want to be doing if my number was called tomorrow? And so that allows me to constantly be reflecting, constantly be thinking, am I doing stuff today that if I, my number was called tomorrow, that I would say, you know what, I had a great last day. I absolutely loved what I was doing my last day. I was passionate for it. I was enjoying it. And I don't know if a lot of people can say that. And so that would be my very first kind of reflection is, is, is now I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm gonna, if I'm doing something or I'm in a business or I started a company or I have a job that I don't enjoy, I'm going to just simply stop, pivot, quit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how to wind that other business down because I'm so excited and passionate for something else. And so that's really the first thing I'd like to pass back to you and to your listeners is just, you know, I think passion comes from knowing that we don't have, like, we're not here forever. So you've got to make the decision to do what you absolutely love now because our time here is so short. And as a man that was challenged at, you know, I was 35 years old with a, a, a rare, almost terminal illness, you realize like that could happen to anyone at any time. So are you doing what you love? Are you doing something you're passionate for that you could just work at and work at and do all day, every day? Um, because you never know when your number is going to get called. That's my, one of my biggest and, and best takeaways. Very, very powerful. A um, couple of the words that came to mind there was to live your life intentionally every single day within your purpose and focusing, being laser focused. Because as you mentioned, are you doing right now what you want to do? Um, if you were, you were, basically taken away from this this uh, energy shape and form that we all exist in right um right. and then what a career you've you've built and what what, what a business you've built uh in, in the real estate space and one of your little ninja tricks and your unique abilities is raising capital i believe it's over 51 million dollars of private capital right. that's been raised just to fund deals um what are some of the things that you could share with our listeners um regarding private capital and how you can raise and increase the raise of private capital for yeah. the deals that you're looking to fund. Yeah, no, no doubt. So I just, I guess would tell the story that it really starts with, um, look, I, I believe that giving starts the receiving process. Mm -hmm. So when I look at my real estate deals, I, I wanted to create a situation where my private investors or private lenders would be able to receive a very compelling double digit return at a, at a minimum and then also have upside or also have some sort of bonus also have some sort of equity so that their downside they thought to themselves like well if i if i just get the worst case scenario if i just get the minimum return it's still amazing it still well outperforms what I'm going to get in other places. So when I was going into my surgery, I, I had raised private capital before, but was never really that serious about it. I was very transactional, very, very much a wholesaler doing deals, but making a lot of money, but was very much had a job, a well-paying job. And before I went in for my surgery and I kind of planned to have this surgery, I didn't know if I was going to make it through, but two weeks before my surgery, I bought two properties. I partnered up uh, with someone that could manage the projects and I borrowed money from private lenders and I paid them 12% interest or 15% of my profits, whichever was higher. And so when I talked to them about in investing in my deal, they said, well, look, the minimum is 12%. You've already told me that the, ma you know, the, the max I'm going to get in the market over the long range is 9, 10. And after I pay the fees, I'm going to get closer to 7 so you're nearly paying me double what I'm going to net in the markets. And if the deal goes quickly, I'm going to get potentially even more because I'm, I could get 15% of the profit from the deal if it's more than 12% interest. And so when I look at raising money, I have a five-step process that I use, a five, 
simple strategies and simple steps that we follow. But the first one is to craft a simple but devastating offer. Okay. Now I know guys that invest in apartments and I own over 2,200 units of apartments. Um, I know guys that invest in apartments and they pay their investors, you know, a 6% pref and you know, they might get another 6% in equity down the road. If the deal does, you know, X, Y, and Z, if the deal does, you know, uh, somersaults and, and handstands, then you'll get another 6%. And they have a really hard time getting access to capital because the investor is not blown away. They're not barreled over. They're not jumping through their computer to invest in deals. So the first part is, doesn't matter if you're in apartments or self-storage or assisted living or a simple fix and flip, is craft a simple offer that's so easy to explain that you could get it in 30 seconds or less. Uh, DC or MC, I had my, um, I had an event a couple years ago, like Kevin O'Leary uh, spoke at the event and he, he told me a story when we were in the green room. He said, hey, did you know that out of all the companies and entrepreneurs that got funded on Shark Tank, 100% of them, they found that 100% of them were able to articulate their opportunity in 60 seconds or less. 60 wow. seconds or less. Wow. So craft a simple but devastating offer that you can articulate to somebody just sitting at a bus stop, sitting in an Uber, sitting in a coffee shop that you can articulate literally in 30 seconds or less. That's where it starts. Yeah. Wow. And there, if you get somebody's attention, right? If you have their attention through a very small, quick elevator speech, then there's a whole process that we go through of building relationships with people. I don't care how loaded somebody is. They could be, you know, a nine figure, 10 figure guy. It doesn't matter if they don't feel and trust you or your organization, they're never going to invest with you. They're not going to invest a nickel. Okay, so it's all about relationships and building relationships. We're very strategic about that too, but it starts with crafting a simple but devastating offer that you can articulate in 30 to 60 seconds or less. That's really where it begins. And then um, building a community around that is something that you've done really well and you keep continuing to deliver with value and education and so forth. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that part of of uh, of how you keep maintaining momentum and keep staying in front of folks and keep providing value for them. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, being a private lender and, and recruiting a lot of private capital and having deployed over $51 million. And when I say $51 million, none of that is institutional money. All of that 51 million is from regular, you know, average Americana. It's, it, you know, some of these people might be really wealthy, but they're regular people. It's not like I've had a hedge fund give me 50 million bucks or you know, some institutional private lender give me 50 million bucks. And so it starts with that devastating offer. But from there, like, you have to build that community, build the relationships. So you know, we have a massive um, content machine in my business and it starts with podcasts. To be very frank with you, it starts with getting on on a podcast, my own podcast or yours or another, and recording and giving amazing content. And then I have a back-end team that takes that content, spins it into three to four blog posts a week, spins it into multiple uh, one to two minute training videos per week. We push it out on all of our social media platforms. We push it out to our 200,000 followers through our email marketing. Um, we push it out to everybody. And there's in all of that, there's almost no pitch. There's almost no pitch. There might be a subtle like mention of our book or a mention of our coaching program or a mention of maybe an upcoming training, but it might be 45 minutes of content with like 30 seconds uh, with a small call to action. And so we're just constantly pushing things out. So that's a big part of it is giving, giving, giving. It starts the receiving process. Secondly, is that when, when, when we're putting this content out to the world and we're making people you know, see it, see it, see it, you got to have proof, right? You have to have success proof. You, you know, there's, there's really two things that you can't fake in this world, MC. It's talent and motivation. And if mm -hmm. you're talented and you're motivated, 
You need to push that out to the world. And the way that you display talent is by proof. It's through case studies. The way you display talent, the way you display motivation is maybe through your Instagram talking about the deals that you've closed. Maybe it's through a podcasting platform where you can, you can talk on a podcast and give great content, right? But mm-hmm. you can't fake it anymore. There's a lot of people in social media that have big followings that are totally faking it. But th- those guys, they come and go, right? That's the guy yep. that flash in the pan. If you want to have longevity, you got to have talent and you got to constantly be doing deals. And then whether it's, you know, whether you're in a marketing agency, you're doing deals for your client, whether you're a real estate investor, you're doing deals for yourself or you're a private lender, you know, or maybe you're, you know, you're a speaker and you're, you're, you're speaking on stages over and over and over again. You know, you've got to display that you're out there in the world. And when you do that and you display that people come back and follow you simply because they like your stuff and they think that you're authentic. So for us, it's about delivering massive value and content, starting with podcasts, but then backing that up with a tremendous amount of case studies and deal flow and showing our audience all the stuff that we're doing. My passion comes from helping other people succeed. I don't care if they invest with us. I don't care if they borrow from us. I don't care if we invest in a deal with them. I don't care if they buy our coaching. If their life is better off because of something we delivered, then I feel good about that. That's what makes sense to me. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Kings, queens, and royal families, along with the nobility and ultra-rich, have warehoused and stored their wealth for centuries in gold and silver, art, land, and real estate. These assets have stood the test of time through centuries and have been a great place to preserve and protect their wealth. Like gold, silver, land, and real estate, art has been around for centuries and will be around for many, many more centuries. That's why the ultra-rich will continue to invest in art and preserve their wealth in art. While the S&P declined 5.1% in 2018, the art market returned 10.6% and was called the best investment of 2018 by the Wall Street Journal. Masterworks is the first company to allow investors to buy shares of great blue-chip art masterpieces by artists like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. You can get set up on their platform at cashflowninja.com forward slash art. My friend Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. The Real Asset Investor team creates value for investors looking for higher yield returns from ATM machines and cell storage investments. Their syndications offer attractive investment opportunities that produce strong cash flow, equity growth, huge tax incentives. They are truly passive and managed by a world-class team. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the Real Estate Investor offers, such as their ATM and cell storage syndications, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. Absolutely. Let's talk about deals for a little bit. So obviously, uh, there's a ton of deal flow right now for, uh, to you guys, and there's a lot of deals that... that but basically come across your desk, I'm assuming daily. Um, what is the framework? Is there a framework that you use in analyzing deals, whether it would be a fit or not? Is there a checklist that you use and draw from when you make decisions? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Our checklist for multifamily, we, we, like I said, we own 2,200 units of apartments. They're all value-add apartments. So the goal is buy the apartment at a wholesale price, improve the apartment through value-add improvements to the units, the value-add improvements to the exteriors, increase the rents, and then within one to three years to refinance into permanent financing and pay our investors back 100% of their principal. And then we leave those investors in the deal forever, right? So that's going back to the simple yet devastating offer. That's what we do with those investors. 
And so when we look at a deal, the first thing we do is we say, look, can we, is the first part of the checkbox, can we buy the property, let's say, where it's currently performing at roughly a 10 cap, meaning the purchase price divided into the net operating income, is that a 10 cap or a 10% return? And then can we, can we get to a point where it's a 10 cap, okay? And can we refinance? Because right now, apartment lenders like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they're evaluating big, large apartment complexes at about a six and a half to a seven cap. And so that's the difference between what we're into it for and what it's going to be worth down the road when we refinance. So the first box we've got to check is can we get investors in and out in a year or two or three and pay them a prep return? That's the first piece. The second piece is we're really looking for B-class type of assets. Could be C-plus, could be A-minus, but we're really looking for B-class assets, you know, workforce type of housing, uh, blue-collar and white-collar housing. Uh, we're not looking for the luxurious A-class stuff and, you know, the downtowns and the urban core, and we're definitely not looking for C-class in the hood. Um, we're looking for B-class stuff that we can improve because it's recession-proof. It's deals that will last forever. In a, in, in a strong economy, your C-class moves up to B. In a retracting economy, like a recession that we might be seeing in the next year or two, A-class is going to move down to B. So it's a, it's a recession-proof. It's a long-term wealth builder. It's a big, big deal. Um, then we look at you know, the operator, uh, MC. We're looking at if we're investing in a joint venture partner, we can bring our balance sheet. We can bring capital. We can even, I, we even write the first mortgage loan for our own deals sometimes. Um, we can get that first mortgage loan. We have uh, the ability to manage projects through our property management uh, ap apartments and through our uh, property management affiliates. So if we're working with an operator, we've got to know that this operator's done this before. We've got to know that this is not their first rodeo, that they know how to handle a project that might be 100 doors, 300 doors, 400 doors or more. We've got to know that they have the capacity to be the boots on the ground and handle the project. Um, so those are, those are big parts of it. Uh, the B class, the ability to get investors out of the deal through a refinance within one to three years, uh, you know, performing at least a 10 cap uh, so that we can refinance at a six and a half to a seven cap when we refinance in the future. Um, and, you know, a really strong operator that wants to be and getting, you know, his he wants to get dirty. We love operators that get dirty. And what I mean by that is they're not like, you know, in some white ivory tower and they never go visit the property there and they've got property managers or, or, or leasing agents that do all the work. I want an operator if we're investing with someone else or an operator that literally drives his truck to the property. He lives there three or four days a week uh, or, you know, he might go home at night, but he goes right back to the property the next day until that property is stabilized, he's there on the ground. I don't want somebody that is dropping the ball operationally because they're looking for the next deal and the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. That's great, but you've got to manage the projects you have because if you stabilize them one time, they're going to create cash flow forever, right? Yeah. So those are three or four or five of the criteria that we use. You mentioned recession and that we're due for one along the way, and you've been in this industry and seen one. What are some of the things that you're doing to prepare? What are some of the things that you're doing to positioning yourself, not just to thrive and have your current portfolio thrive and still produce cash flow, but also, um, yeah, also capitalize on opportunities that will present itself? Gotcha. Yeah. Well, listen, the way you get through a recession is with cash flow. So even if you went through the recession of 2008, um, the way you get through that was with cash flow, because if you had bought a property, maybe with a no income, no asset loan, but it was cash flowing, you have a much better opportunity to get through the dip and get back to the other side of the dip and hold the asset, right? So from 2008 to 2018, values went down and came all the way back in the worst recession that we'll ever see, the great recession, um, cash flow held people through those assets and it allowed them to come out about eight to 10 years later where the value of their asset was now back to what it was in 2008. So the first principle is cash flow. Um, the second principle um, 
of managing assets and getting through a recession is you've got to be less transactional. You've got to have less risk. And so, you know, MC, three, four, five years ago, I had no problem doing rehab projects where I was adding additions to properties. Um, I was doing $100,000 rehab projects. We were doing luxury kitchens with, you know, exotic tiles and exotic marbles and granites. We don't do any of that stuff anymore. We've scaled back now to, uh, to very simple properties. It could be apartments, small balance, commercial, big apartments, or even, you know, small single family duplexes, but they've got to be properties that we can get in and out of or doors that we can get in and out of very quickly. We want to buy them. We want to clean them up, kitchens, bathrooms, but we want to do it to like a workforce housing style, workforce housing grade, like a B grade type of property, not luxury A and definitely not like C or D, but B grade type of property, luxury vinyl flooring. We want to paint them all the same, nice backsplash, but inexpensive, nice kitchens, but inexpensive, maybe remnant granites. Um, We want to make sure that that property can be turned fast and then put into permanent financing quickly. So we refinance into permanent financing. We actually are an originator. So through my lending company, we actually originate the front end paper for the acquisition of the property. And sometimes we're lending to ourselves for our own deals. But then we quickly want to re- uh, refinance within two to four months into long-term permanent financing. So the, the other way you get ready for a recession is by having much smaller risk, much lower renovation budgets, and frankly, working on less properties. The the last piece of it is, you know, four or five years ago, we were working on so many properties at one time because we knew even if we screwed something up, the market was appreciating all the time, every single day, every month, every year was appreciating. So we got into some deals. Like I got into a deal in Columbus when we originally bought it, we thought the after repair value was 200,000. By the time we sold it, which was a little over maybe eight months later, we sold it for 279,000. Now that's not going to happen in a recession, right? So you can't make mistakes. So you've got to thin out a little bit, thin out your staff, thin out your cash flow, um, thin out your team, reduce your payroll, get ready for a recession and work on less deals, but make sure the deals that you have have tons and tons of cash flow. Absolutely. Uh, Now, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new things and uh, learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what are you learning? Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, one of my favorite podcasts is actually not about success and business at all. Uh, It's actually about health and wellness. Um, As a pancreatic cancer survivor, every single day, MC, I'm thinking about you know, longevity. I'm thinking about how do I live a long, healthy life? You know, I beat up my body over the years by playing college football and partying with my friends and maybe not always eating as, as uh, you know, as clean and as healthy as I thought. And then I got pancreatic cancer. So, you, you know, I had that big wake up call. So, um, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at now and I'm studying a lot of and reading a lot about are cultures and areas where people have a lot of longevity. Um, so I'm constantly searching for books. You know, there's books about what, what they call blue zones, um, blue zones or cultures or areas in the world where, where that culture has a lot of longevity. People live well into their nineties, 90, 95, hundred years old on average with no chronic disease. Um, and so there's a lot of great you know, books out right now about, um, what they call blue zones and, um, you know, I'm looking at, you know, what can I eat? What can I put in my body that's going to give me energy to spend time with my wife, you know, to coach my three small kids in all their sports, which I, which I love. Um, I've got sixth grade volleyball tonight. I've got fourth grade volleyball tonight. And I've got uh, flag football tonight, all on the same <laughs> night. I love to coach. So it's, for me, it's all about health and wellness. And what we're seeing, uh, what I'm learning from these books, again, this is not my research by any means, but I'll pass it along because I, I, I've, I've pivoted my own diet this direction. These cultures that have longevity and have a lot of energy, um, they, they, they eat tons of greens, nuts, beans, uh, and whole grains. Uh, believe it or not, coffee and red wine is, is a big part of their diet and their, their, uh, their plan. Um, coffee is one of the greatest, the world's greatest antioxidants. Uh, red wine is a great antioxidant, blueberries. 
um, are, those are all things that I have in my diet um, every day, except the red wine. I don't do the red wine every day. <laughs> but uh, uh, I try to incorporate those into my diet every day and exercise. So when we think of exercise as Americans, like we think of getting in the gym and pounding out a workout, you know, which I did this morning. I got up. Today's my kid's first day of school. Got him, you know, off to school. And I went to the gym and I pounded out a heavy workout because I you know, played college football and I like to be in shape and I like to be, you know, show off some muscle a little bit here and there. But these cultures, which I've learned is amazing, is they don't think of exercise the way we think of exercise. They actually exercise about every 20 to 30 minutes. They get up, they walk, they move around. So I encourage my staff um, to get up and go for walks every 30 minutes, get out of their desk, to not be so sedentary. And so, you know, so, you know, sitting in their, uh, you know, their, their chair, or looking at their computer all day, get up, go for walks, go with a team member, go for a walk around the block, around the building, go to lunch. Uh, you know, we encourage our staff to use um, the, the desks that elevate so they can stand at their desk, uh, desks we use so that they're on their feet moving around. It's a form of exercise. All of those things have proven to have longevity. Um, and that's, that's really important to me. Um, the other thing that I'm constantly studying and looking at is, is social media. I, I love to see like your content, your social media, other, you know, other people's uh, social media and what they're doing successfully uh, to stick out. Because with Instagram and with Facebook, everybody's got a platform to stick out. Right. Yep. My kids watch, uh, you know, they watch YouTube videos of the same people over and over and over because they stick out. Yep. Um, so how, what are the people doing successfully to create a brand and then to stay with that long term? Right. It's a long term game. It's long tail, just like buying apartments is long tail. Making private lender loans is long tail. It's not transactional. It's long tail. So I think of every piece of content that I put out has to be something that I'll be proud of 10 years from now. If we're not going to be proud of it 10 years from now, don't do it. Okay? Because content has a long, long life to it. Absolutely. Now, uh, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think first thing is, is personal engagement. And what I mean by that is people talk about, well, what's my engagement on social media? You know, what's my engagement on uh, Instagram or Facebook? What's my following? How many downloads did I get on my podcast? How many plays did I get? Uh, how many likes did I get on my Facebook page? You know, that's great for scale and it's important for business. But what's really important is picking up the phone and calling your best friend today. Somebody that you haven't talked to in two, three weeks. Uh, picking up the phone and calling your mother. Um, and I tell this from personal experience. My dad is my hero. And he's my entrepreneurial hero. He's my leadership hero. He's my spiritual hero as a Christian. Uh, he's my hero in every way. He lived the life that I would love to live. Today, my dad has Parkinson's and, um, and dementia. And, you know, I spent part of the day yesterday with my dad and he was having probably the roughest day he's ever had. Um, trouble walking, trouble moving, um, trouble talking. Uh, I had to go to the hospital last night. Um, and I think about all the times that my dad called me out of the blue middle of the day and just asked me how I was doing, even though he was a busy, 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 busy entrepreneur. Um, you know, so I think about personal engagement, calling or texting my wife, something special, something meaningful, not just, you know, Hey, who's picking up dinner, you know, or who's grabbing the kids from football, which a lot of our texts are that, you know, when I'm not in lockstep with my wife, it's because I haven't personally engaged with her. Life's gotten in the way. You know, I've got groups of friends that if I don't personally engage with them, they're so busy, I'm so busy, I might not speak with them for a year. So 
Pick up the phone and call that person that you've been thinking about. Right now, today, go into your cell phone, look up a friend that maybe you were amazing friends with that you haven't talked to in months or weeks or years. Just call them. Personal engagement is, is huge. Um, the second principle is a friend of mine. His name is Francis Ablola. And, and I think you've had, uh, you know, several, you've had lots and lots of real estate guys on your podcast, but Francis is uh, you know, a digital marketer and, and does a lot of real estate publishing. He publishes other people. And Francis said to me something years ago I'll never forget, so I'll pass that along. He said to me, he said, Josh, you know, in sales and in raising private money, uh, in selling stuff and being a good sales organization, if you have a product or a service that you feel is going to help somebody else's life, then you have a moral obligation to sell it to them. You have a moral obligation to sell it to them. And so when I think about my private money or when I think about real estate, I feel so strongly that it can help your average American, your upper, you know, middle class, you know, even somebody who's just broke, busted, and disgusted. I feel so powerful about how real estate can help people level up, whether they're just wholesaling or they move up to big stuff like apartments. Um, I feel like I have a moral obligation to sell it to them. So I would pass along and say, look, if you're doing something in your life and you're not proud of it, and you don't feel like you have an obligation to do it for others, then change your change your, your your direction. Do something different. Because if you feel like you're so strong about something, you feel like you have a moral obligation to help someone, that not only is helping them, but it gives you purpose. It gives you a reason. So when I get on podcasts like this and I'm sharing like, I just, I just want to help other people. I want them. I feel like I have a moral obligation to tell my story because I'm a cancer survivor, because I don't want other people to make the same mistakes that I did. Right. Yep. So that, 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 that's a big, big part of it. Like if you're not doing something that you feel so strongly about, you know, and the third piece of it, you know, is look, I hate, um, I hate like back talk. I hate, um, People who talk behind other people's backs. Um, I hate, uh, you know, people are just, you know, in small circles talking about other people. I realize being in a school and how many people love each other. I can tell my kids, they all love each other. What I worry about is the parents. What I worry about as a coach is the parents that talk shit about other parents. And to their faces, they love each other. They talk and they're happy. Hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, Johnny made a basket or so-and-so is good at football or volleyball. And then behind their backs, like, oh, my God, that guy's an asshole. It's like, hey, man, like, let's go back to the golden rule of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, man. Because I could shit talk and back talk everybody I know. And everybody could shit talk me because I've made a ton of mistakes. But I think in this massive social media ocean that we live in, everybody's putting their best face and their best content and their best material online. And I wonder what people are really like in person. Okay. I've had many celebrities, guys from Shark Tank, guys from shows at my events. They're awesome on stage and they're total pricks behind the curtain. So if you're not bringing it in the real world and you're not saying something nice, if your base of who you are is not the same in person as you are on stage or as you are on a podcast, like be authentic, man, be authentic. So who you are when you're by yourself is exactly who you should be on stage, exactly who you should be on a podcast, exactly who you should be on Instagram. Be authentic, man. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's what I would give back to your group. Fantastic. Where can my listeners learn more about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they stay in, t uh, in touch? And where can they uh, stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with, Josh? Yeah, you know, fantastic. I appreciate you asking. So we just put out um, our newest book, 
Uh, we've had we have uh, nine or ten digital ebooks that have been online for years. We've had millions of downloads of those books over the years, but we just published our first physical actual book. Um, and it's a lot about my story of real estate investing and you know uh, starting businesses, building businesses, and recruiting and raising private capital. Um, and, uh, and and I'll give that away to all of your listeners today. They just have to pay for shipping. Uh, they can get that uh, at www.debtflipsystem getflipsystem.com. Um, and then also, you know, on, on Facebook, um, on Instagram, they can look me up personally. Uh, and also my company's uh, strategic real estate coach uh, in Freeland Ventures. You can find we have a, uh, you know, a huge social media following and, uh, and lots and lots and lots of content that we put out on our blog and, uh, and on Facebook and Instagram. So great place for us to, to connect is right there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and connecting and providing so much value for my listeners. This has been a blast connecting and having you on. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time and inviting me to be on the show. I'm very honored by it. Thank you very much. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.